What are the sounds that move you? A skylark singing in spring? A speech that inspires you to act? A voice that reminds you of home? Words and performance have been vital lifelines throughout my life. And in this podcast series, I'm exploring how language and speech have shaped all of our lives, our work, our identities. Words, English words, full of echoes, memories. So I'm diving into the British Library Sound Archive, the nation's largest collection of almost 6.5 million recordings that span the whole history of recorded sound. I'm in here with all of this and I can't quite believe my look. There are fascinating oral histories, field recordings, interviews with world leaders and cultural icons, music and more. In this series, I'll be sharing some of my favourite recordings, many brought to us through a project called Unlocking Our Sound Heritage. And I'll be sharing them with you and some rather special wordsmiths. I'm Lem Sisay. Welcome to All About Sound from the British Library. Shall I read it quietly because barn owls fly on silent wings? Barn owl. Below barn owl spreads silence. All sound crouches to ground, runs for cover, huddles down. Noise is what owl hunts, drops on, stops dead. Over rushes, across marshes, owl hushes. Will you listen with owl ears for a while? Let the wild world's whispers call you in. That's Barn Owl from The Lost Spells. Are we listening hard enough to the sounds of nature? I'm joined by collaborators Robert McFarlane and Jackie Morris to ask this question and to summon back the lost sounds and words of the natural world. Robert is a fellow at the University of Cambridge and writer of many wonderful books about nature, place and language. Jackie is a brilliant illustrator and writer and together you've created the book The Lost Words, Book of Spells, that seeks to conjure back the near-lost magic and strangeness of the nature that surrounds us. The book was an international bestseller, spawned an album, a crowd-funded effort to get the book into schools, and in 2020 you created The Lost Spells, a book of spells to be spoken aloud. I'm really pleased you're both joining me today on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Lem. Happy to be here. I'm very happy to be talking to you. And I've seen and heard many poets cast their spells over audiences, but the sorcery of your books is that illustration has voice and words conjure pictures. And the meeting of the two is what is spellbinding for adults and children alike. So I've chosen some clips from the British Library Sound Archive that I think uh, you'll both find very interesting. But before I play you any, Robert, can you tell me where the idea for the Lost Words book came from? Yes, it's Acorn was the fact that 
words for nature, for everyday nature, common nature, acorn, buttercup, conker, catkin, wren, willow, heron, kingfisher, were falling out of everyday use, particularly in the stories and in that sense, in the ears of children. And Jackie uh, and I decided we wanted to make a book out of word and image that, that tried to conjure those words back. And that's how the lost words began. I love the language that Rob uses. It's quite sophisticated, people say, for a book for children. But the images allow access, I think, for children who can't read well into a, a richer vocabulary than they're usually allowed. Absolutely. I love this idea of the images being able to carry the child until they understand what those years later, you know, what the words mean. That's just beautiful. And the other thing is that the words don't need to be made to mean in a way because they sound and sound mm. is different to meaning. And so we've had children who can't read, but who can speak aloud and remember. They learn it in the mind's ear. And that's been partly, as you say, Jackie's images have, are, are their own literacy, their yeah. own visions, their own sounds. But the language turns, tumbles in the mouths of children. And that takes us perhaps to this idea of how important sound is and sounding is to nature. I heard that in the poem Barn Owl. I almost heard the wind in the wings or beneath oh. the feathers, between the feathers, all the shh yeah. and the... the shh yeah. and the hushes yeah. and the marshes and the, yeah, the susurrus, you know, all these wonderful onomatopoeic words. I read Nan Shepherd's The Living Mountain and Jay Griffith's Wild. Now, both women, Nan Shepherd, Jay Griffiths, go alone into wild nature and listen. Nature speaks to them, through them, with them, in much the same way it spoke to the ancient mariner, and they speak back to nature. The poet John Burnside once said, I'm paraphrasing, that metaphor is as close a human being can be to their environment. Nature can tell the inner story, if only we listen. So talking of conversation, I want to play you the first recording from the British Library Archive now. You'll hear extracts from a 2017 conversation recorded at the library between longtime collaborators, sound recordist Chris Watson and broadcaster Sir David Attenborough. It's so, I always enjoy our conversations um, yeah. over the years, but there are a few places like this that we've had the chance to have a... Yeah, most of the places like the North Pole or yeah. uh, the Mato Grosso or somewhere. You're such a great sound ally because you started out as a sound recordist. Um, well, I started out as a, as, a, as a television producer, I suppose, really. Well, I think what uh, we can do, because we've managed to collect some recordings, this is Sierra Leone, isn't it? It is, yes. It In a the, swamp. The first, was this the first zoo quest? It was, yes. So this, this is what I would call now an, an atmosphere recording. So it's a scene-setting recording. Yeah, as far as I was concerned, this was really central stuff. And actually... <laughs> Background, I mean, <laughs> we're a swamp absolutely alive with frogs of several different species. Let's hear it. All singing.
we then moved to a place where there was some open water and I'd put my hydrophones below the surface and recorded what I still regard, again, you know, in anthropomorphic terms, as the most beautiful animal music that I've ever heard. And these are bearded seals singing under the Arctic sea ice. And these are the songs that they've been singing for thousands, tens of thousands of years in that place. Chris, of course, has a particular interest and he thinks that all the rest of us team are insensitive, really, to sound. I mean, we listen to it, but you don't understand it in the way that he understands it. And on one evening as we were sitting there drinking beer and so on, he actually said to me, you don't listen to the sounds, you don't think about them, you know? If you thought more about them, you would actually understand more. Now, for example, he said, I can tell the difference between a recording of waves on the shore in the Atlantic and waves on the shore in the Pacific entirely by listening to the recordings. Now, Chris, are you going to sit there and say that's true? Of course I am, yeah. In fact, I, I remember I made a CD for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has a, the Pacific surf has this silky, sort of velvety, <laughs> growling sound, whereas the Atlantic is much harder and, and sharper. I mean, yeah. I'm sure lots of people know. There you are. You see that. <laughs> that's, his, that's his story. Uh, yeah. And it's lasted us over many, many a beer over <laughs> many a long time. Well, let's continue the debate over a drink this evening. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ruben. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. <laughs>
Well, I listen, it's yeah. such a wonderful <laughs> question from Lem. So how do you paint sound? And I do listen to your paintings, Jackie. When I look mm. at the winter painting of the raven in mm. The Lost Words, I hear the raven's gronk, gronk that I know so well from the mountains. I hear the wind, the cold wind that's bitten me to my bone many times. So I put an ear to your paintings as well as an eye to them. Yeah, and I guess one of the things that amazed me was when James Burton was composing music in America, he said he had the book propped up on the piano and the music was spilling out of the paintings. I heard that you, at times with the lost spells, you would go outside and speak the poem to otters or even speak the poem as you were painting? Yeah, I, I, sometimes I'm speaking as I'm painting. Sometimes things are going through my head. More and more these days, I paint in silence. And by silence, I mean the goldfinches in the hedge outside, the magpies making a nest, the ravens flying over. It's been quite stormy. I can hear the sea from my house. <laughs> How have sounds of nature inspired you when writing, Robert? Oh, just all the time. The earliest musical instrument, really, in Europe is a 35,000-year-old flute with five finger holes on it and a V cut into the top for, to meet the player's lips. And it's, it's made from the radius bone of a griffin vulture and it was found in a cave in the Jura, the Swabian Jura. And something about that object which unites song and story and hope and fear. The ice would have been king of that country at that time. These were people living incredibly marginal lives in cold, hard, ice-girt places, and still they sang songs, still they told stories. So for me, that, that bond between music, word, story, and being human, it goes right back to that flute for me. There are so many amazing recordings of the natural world in the library's sound archive, and I want to make the most of them by asking you to guess what you're hearing at various points throughout this episode. OK, so this is the first one. All right. Do you, would you like a clue or do you want... You, wow. You... Jackie, you go first. <laughs> it was recorded in Wales, Radnor. Blimey. It sounded like frogs, but um, no, it could be birds. Well, I've got to say, Jackie, you're just amazing. It was a common toad. Oh. A common toad. Recorded you know, in Radnor the... in Wales in 1989 by husband and wife team oh, Eric wonderful. and May Nobles. So, oh. um, at the end of my garden... Just across the road, there's a, a pond, and round about soon, as it warms up, mm. there are loads of toads in there and frogs, and they sing, and you can just hear them, especially on sunny days. But I'll tell you what gave it away was in between the toad song, there was a little splash. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, a little splash. That was little... so... You're a listener. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're a listener. And this great creature has a Latin name, uh, which is Bufo Bufo. Bufo Bufo. 
I don't yeah. know if I said. I don't know if I said that right. It's written here. It makes me sound clever. Bufo, bufo. Do you have to empty your shoes out before you put your feet in, just in case there's a toad in your shoe? <laughs> Jackie, I live in Hackney. <laughs> I mean, actually, there are Hackney marshes. There are Hackney yeah. marshes. It's funny, isn't it, how we segment? Uh, this is nature. This is the city. Whereas the city is nature as well. Definitely, it's such a, a fault line in our thinking about nature. Is that city and country? You know, not nature and nature. It's just, I mean, city. Fourteen thousand species recorded in London, Greater London. Yeah. Nearly a tree for every citizen. It's a, a wildwood, a jungle, a, a biodiversity hub. It's blue and it's green as well as grey. So yeah, our cities team, or they should team with life. Mm. It's words that separate us. It's words that if we say the city is not natural or nature is not in the city, it's words, it's rural and yeah. metropolitan. And these things can actually stop us from experiencing nature and the world. And it strikes me that that's what you're doing in keeping these words. That's so right, Lem. I really believe that. And um, Starlings, I love this about them. They're hip-hop artists. They're samplers. Did you know this? They no, no, their song. They sample sounds, car alarms, mobile phone ringtones, ambulance sirens. They also copycat the sounds of other birds, willow tits, even the cries of terns. They sample them, then they remix them, and then they belt out these individual mixes from the chimney pot or the telephone wire. Oh. I've found some very joyful clips in the archive of people revelling in the sounds of nature. Vicky Caron has been part of the British Library's effort to document and digitise sounds and voices from around the UK. So I'll hand over to Vicky to introduce the first recording. The Unlocking Our Sound Heritage project is a five-year programme to preserve and catalogue a variety of audio recordings from hubs all across the country. This clip comes from the Sussex hub and it was made for a BBC Brighton show called Coffee Break in 1976. In this clip, practising Wiccan, Doreen Valiente talks about Beltane and the customs that take place on May morning, the 1st of May. This was recorded outside in Hollingbury Hill Fort, which is a Celtic Iron Age hill fort in Brighton. But the common people and the wealthy people used to go Maying. They used to go out all night. And much to the disgust of the Puritans, who disliked what they politely described as the pastimes which went on, because, after all, you can't gather so many green boughs in the dark, so you have to find something else to do to keep warm, don't you? <laughs> and, um, and they used to bring home their green boughs and their maypole and set them up and decorate their houses with them because this was greeting the newborn fertility of the spring, like that skylark is up there now. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. That really is lovely. Mm -hmm. He's hovering just above our heads and singing his heart out. And the sun's getting redder and redder at the moment. It's quite incredible. Yes, it's like a red ball of fire. It's an incredible colour, isn't it? Why is it that colour? I wouldn't have... It's through the mist. Ah, it's, that's yes, what that is. Yes, it's being yes. filtered through the, through the mist. You can see the effect it must have had on the spirits of uh, people up here to, to actually see the sun coming up this morning. You know, I feel quite... Mm. 
I can say, quite sort of Celtic. In a way. Yes, <laughs> you know, I mean, I talk about this preparing all night, Dorian. Yes. I've been preparing all night. I've been awake, you know, <laughs> hoping that I wouldn't miss it all. This is a recording of a blackbird from the front bedroom window. And you can hear in the background, if you listen carefully, a steam train which was going over the 13 arches which were blown up to make room for the M32. As part of the very first clip from Hollingbury Hillfort, you heard a skylark, and their recent and dramatic population declines make it a red list species, meaning it's the highest conservation priority, sadly. And following that, we heard the amazing recording of English cellist Beatrice Harrison playing in her garden alongside a singing nightingale. The exact date of this particular recording is unknown, but BBC Radio first broadcast a duet between Harrison and a nightingale in 1924 as an experiment. The broadcast was a hit, and Harrison repeated the performance every year for the next 12 years. Interestingly, though, in 2022, it came to light that the nightingale in the original broadcast might in fact have been faked by a bird impressionist. What did you get from the clips? I was out running earlier today and the skylark's nest on the field near my house where the helicopter lands to bring emergency patients to the big hospital I live near. So it's these two flying beings, both bringing different forms of comfort and help land and take off there. I find it a kind of very strange and beautiful convergence really between the human and the natural. So I was out running past the helicopter landing field and there were two skylarks up there and it just feels like you're in a shower of song. You stand under them and they torrent onto you. It washes my spirit, it really does. I see you mm. nodding there, Jackie. Yeah, it's funny. The minute they said, look at him singing, my hackles just go up because there's this long-held myth male birds sing to attract a mate and I hate to tell you guys but women sometimes like to attract a mate and since scientists have been studying birds they have discovered that female birds actually have their own song as well so it could have been a she going up there thank you oh I'm so glad I'm here <laughs> Loss is the tune of our age, you say at the start of The Lost Words. And in Paradise Lost, Milton's words talk of loss. Earth felt the wound and nature from her seat, sighing through all her works, gave signs of woe. 
that all was lost. Of course, the British Library's Unlocking Our Sound Heritage project is saving the sounds of the past and of nature and preserving them for future generations. So far, about 140,000 sound recordings of species and habitat have been saved from degradation. Many of those sounds have already disappeared or are rapidly changing in our current environment. I guess my dad was the person who first pointed out birds to me. And um, when he was a child, there would be flocks of hundreds of lapwings in the sky. When I was a child, there'd be 50. Now I'm lucky if I see 20 in a flock. How do you see that loss? How do you hear the silence that creeps up on us? Thank you, Jackie. When you wrote, loss is the tune of our age, were you referring to the climate crisis? I'm referring, we're referring to, to all kinds of loss because they're inextricable from one another. I think it's another of these oppositions where language tells us that the climate crisis is different and separable from the biodiversity crisis, and they're not. They're absolutely conjoined systemically in terms of cause and in terms of the reduction of life's astonishing variety. So so that's the loss. It's I think I go on to, to say losses the tune of our times hard to hear and hard to bear. If we only think of the dawn chorus, somewhere between 20 and 40 million birds in the UK have been lost from the dawn chorus in the last 50 years. And just the simple acoustic decline, that measure, we can hear it. It hurts the heart, I think, to hear it. And we all remember, I think, that first month of lockdown, the first lockdown, and it was as though we heard with new ears again. The internal combustion engines were stilled, the streets were silent, and the birds sang, and they sang our hearts up for us. And something about that, the knowledge of the loss, the shifting baseline syndrome, which normalizes us to a quieter and quieter spring each year, and the hope that it brings. Jackie, to what extent is your work a call to action to protect the natural world, to come to the natural world, to listen to it? I think I worked out quite soon in my life that I wasn't cut out for going to marches and protesting. I try to use the work that I do to open up a child's mind to the wonder of the more than human, to help them imagine what it might be like to be a snow leopard, but also to look on a dandelion with a new kind of wonder. And with the lost words, my hope was that I would give children a tool that they could re-enchant their parents' lives with, because we all have this utter wonder for a while when we're children, and it kind of gets knocked out of us by the education system. I guess everything that I do... It's turning now more into prayer than protest, I think. So my art is my activism, is my prayer to all things wild. My art is my activism, is my prayer to all things wild. Wow. Mm. All right, I want you to try and guess <laughs> another animal sound uh, now.
Wow. You've really got us on the rack in this pub quiz, Lem. <laughs> well, I don't know. Are you tricking us with your frogs? Um... <laughs> it's just frog after, frog after frog, Lem. It's just frog after frog <laughs> after frog with you, Lem. Um, no, no, no. I've gone away from the frog. Shall I let you out of the misery yes. that I've yeah. put you in? And I, yeah. firstly, I apologise for doing that. But it is the European nightjar. Oh, oh it's the it's the chur. That's chur. yeah, the chur. Oh my goodness, our reputation is in tatters here, Lem. I mean, this is why I never go on university challenge because I'd get all the Jane Austen questions wrong. Oh dear. Yep. This was recorded by Rex Ashby in Hampshire in 1984. It's a nocturnal bird that can be seen hawking for food at dusk mm. and at mm. dawn. Well, it's time now for our final archive recording. This is from an event at the library that took place in spring 2021 called Bird is the Word. Mm. And it celebrated all things avian. I think it really hammers home why we should all be excited about the sounds and words of nature. Here's comedian and musician... Bill Bailey explaining why he loves bird watching. It's a way into lots of other things. It's about uh, why are they here? Why is this beautiful parrot, the caca? Why does that live here? Why has it got these kinds of colours? How has it got here? And look at this bird and what the rifleman, why is it called that? Ah, because it, it rifles up the tree in a spiral way. All oh, right. For me, the experience of seeing birds is are lots of doors into other avenues of curiosity. You listen to the sound, you know, like a great tit or something in Britain, you know, you'll hear it in, in your back garden, maybe. You know, you might hear a great tit. And then you realise, but Anton Bruckner, you know, the Austrian composer, heard that and incorporated it into his full symphony. So it's almost like a doorway into the past as well. And so... By experiencing the birds, you're experiencing history and geography and culture and art and our own place in the world. There's so much more you can gather from just one song. Oh, wonderful, Bill. Brilliant, Bill. I went for a walk with Bill. We walked barefoot along the Ridgeway for about for a day. And at the end of it, I found one of those jay feathers, the wing feathers, the blue ones that are just the most magical, miraculous structures yeah, isn't that wonderful? And the rifleman, so I think that must be the tree creeper because I think tree creepers go up the trunk and they turn right. that spiral and, of course, it's rifled because that was the, the spiralled groove on the inside of the barrel of the rifle was the great technological change that shifted the musket into the rifle because it spun the bullet and made them more accurate. But I, I didn't know that, but as soon as Bill gave us the rifleman for the tree creeper. As you say, kind of Napoleonic era history meets yeah. this strange, beautiful bird, meets the trunk of a tree, meets Bill the comedian. Oh, it's busy. We've got one final sound to guess. Oh, good. <laughs> I was hoping we would. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Wow. Is it an early David Bowie radiophonics collaboration? <laughs> Just missed it. No, not that. Over to Jackie again then. Is it in the UK? It's not in the UK. Ah, OK, OK. That narrows yeah. it down then. 
<laughs> yeah, my ears haven't been many places outside the UK. It's a bit unfair so... of us to do this. Costa Rica? No. I'm okay, just, I, it's, it has no, the... out of three for me. It has the most uh, wonderful name. Montezuma oh, or Opendola? See, I knew that. I don't even know what that looks like. Is that it's a, a bird? New world, it's a new world blackbird. Oh, think, isn't that oh, wonderful? The, the, that wow. sound comes from a blackbird. So, yeah, that's incredible. It, we haven't talked about the syrinx uh, yet, but the syrinx is the like two-channeled voice. So we have a larynx, but songbirds have a syrinx. So it's got effectively two channels. So they can. That's how they can. That, sing. They get that warbled from notes, yeah. high notes. At, wow, exactly. Amazing. And so I mean, who knows what the shape of that blackbird's voice box is? Because that yeah. was some sound. I've never heard anything like it, and I'm glad. I'm glad I did. How can we all make sure these words and sounds are not lost? And what do you think is the value of these archive recordings of the natural world? Well, we are sound destroyers as well as everything else. I mean, and for me, the keynote of all making is collaboration, is diversity meeting itself, and then rippling and echoing wonderfully and multifariously outwards. And the more we reduce the possibility of that in sound, in gene, in species, the more impoverished we are. E.O. Wilson, the great recently deceased biologist, he spoke of what he called the Aramacene, and that was his name for the, the age of loneliness that we're walking into. To be lonely is to call your own voice out into silence and hear no echo back. So to me, there is something terrible about the arrival of silence, although, as Jackie said, it's so hard to hear it happening. Can listening harder to nature help us with conservation of nature? I think it can. I think one of the things that we need to do is change the way we perceive education and intelligence. If we don't listen to the way that forests collaborate then we fail to learn very strong lessons. The quote that keeps coming through my head at the moment is the Rilke quote, if we surrender to Earth's intelligence, we could rise up rooted like trees. It's also about value. It's what we perceive as being valuable. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. That really is lovely. Mm -hmm. He's hovering just above our heads and spinning his heart out. Yeah, as far as I was concerned, this was really central stuff. And actually, <laughs> background, I mean, we're a swamp absolutely alive with frogs of several different species. Let's hear it. All seen. You're experiencing history and geography and culture and art and our own place in the world. Jackie Morris and Robert McFarlane, it's been wonderful listening to the archives with you both. Thanks so much for joining me. What are you going to take away from the recordings you've heard today? Does one of them stick in mind? I'm now really excited for the pond just across the way, getting full of frogs again, so that I can hear that singing, which also 
coincides with the arrival of the grasshopper warblers. So you get the frogs in the pond and then you get the grasshopper warblers, which sound like somebody reeling out a fishing line. I love that. But also nightingales. Wow. They're on their way, aren't they? Yeah. Such a joy um, to listen with you and with Jackie today. And skylarks sing all year round, but I can't wait till there are seven of them in the sky above the helicopter and not just two. Thank you so much. Nature offers ways of understanding ourselves. Maybe hearing is different to listening. Sound can be savoured. Notice the differences, the pitches, the different footsteps on the ground, the swish of wind caught in the alley, in the grass, in the feathers of a barn owl. There are many types of rain. Some rain sounds like concert applause. Some like a crackling fire. When you are listening, you are tuning in to the environment, to life, to the way of things, connecting with the live archive. Our exploration of the archive has come to an end for another episode, but there's so much more to listen to. If you'd like to explore further, visit bl.uk forward slash all about sound. And to see a full track listing of the archive and music recordings in this episode, do take a look at the episode description. This is a Pixiu production for the British Library. The producers are Katie Davis and Alex Watson. Next week, BAFTA award-winning writer and producer Sophie Willen explores what home sounds like. Don't miss it. Until next time, from me, Lem Sisay, goodbye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>